please, for the reading of God's Word. This is Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Christ. The book of the genealogy, <clears throat> the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez by the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon, the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and the brothers and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from, deep, from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So John, I, I came in and I was looking for Dan Turner or John Matthews. And I said, I need, I need somebody pr- to pronounce these names that I can't, okay? So, so come up. So thank you, my brother and my friend, uh, for reading. If it was me, you'd have got a lot of like, there's M-Train and Z-Daddy. And uh, that's how I read, you know, so yeah, yeah. So thank you. Thank you for the reading of God's word. Let us pray before we, before we jump into our outline today. Father, I ask that you would do what we know that your desire is. And that is to, by the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of your son, Jesus, would you give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear as we look at a genealogy, as we look at a family tree, may we see the gospel of Christ. May we see the good news of Christmas. We pray in the name of Jesus, the one who has come to us and the one who will come again. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to uh, take your outline and go ahead and open it up. And, and, and what we're going to do is something that we actually, uh, we, we did in a very short version last year. It was during our Christmas Eve service, and we took about 12 to 15 minutes 
to discuss a lot of what we will discuss this morning, but today just in much more detail, of the genealogy that's found in Matthew 1. And what we want to see is this, is what this Advent or, or what this genealogy has to do with the Advent season. How a listing of names, how a listing of a family tree can actually point us to the grace of God and can point us directly to the gospel of Christ. That's what we're gonna do today. And so just a couple of things to note, if you have attempted to read the Bible and you have attempted to read the Bible from the table of contents and make your way all the way to the maps that are at the end of it, you will have noticed something about the Bible. And that's you get going and you get kind of full speed through some, uh, some major stories and some things that are happening. And then you just find for a lot of people a dead end. And it's as you hit a genealogy, you hit a list of names that only John Matthews can pronounce. And to be honest, we don't even know if he pronounced them right, you know, but like it sounded good. Like if it's me, I just say I'm super fast, like right when I get there and hope you uh, would do the same. And, you know, but, but this list of names that I, I believe that we can feel very disconnected from. And so how can we sit in Tuscaloosa, Alabama in 2017 and look back at these names on a page and see that the names on the page God can actually use to point to truth to transform our hearts. How, how can this be? And so what I want us to do is, is just ask the question, how can Matthew chapter one, how can this genealogy help us, help us this Christmas? And so the, the first thing is this, you, you see it there in your outline, but the Matthew one genealogy helps us to pinpoint the Christmas story's place in history to pinpoint the Christmas story's place in history. Now, if I am a first century Jew and I read the very first verse, my attention is going to be very peaked. Okay, this, this is why. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. And so when I read those two names, David and Abraham, I'm immediately gonna be uh, taken backwards to covenant promise, okay? And so when I think of Abraham and when I think of David, I don't just think of people, I think of promise that is connected to them. So I'm thinking of covenant faithfulness. I'm thinking of something that has been promised to them, something promised uh, through Abraham that would go through David and eventually would be the Messiah, uh, the Christ. And so when I read this, my interest is piqued, but, but what is happening is this list of name or this genealogy is helping take us away from just a once upon a time story, which is not what we have in the gospel accounts, but an actual historical event with real life people in a real life place and in a real life time. And so you've got here, you know, this genealogy is going to span from Abraham all the way to Jesus Christ. And real quick, if you don't know what I'm talking about here, then, then don't worry about it. But I want to speak to the skeptic really quickly. Okay. We won't spend much time. I won't go in much detail. But if you are the skeptic 
and you sit here and you go, okay, verse 17 says that all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 and there were 14. Okay, if you read that and you said, but, that, but that's not true. That can't be. Uh, the time doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. I just wanna be really clear. Matthew is no fool, okay? Matthew's not a fool. So if you're the skeptic in the house that's saying that, just hear me. He knows that there's more people that he doesn't name in this genealogy. This is for symmetry purposes, probably for many more reasons, but we have 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the deportation, 14 generations from the deportation to Christ. This is a summation and a very detailed one of the family tree from Abraham to Jesus Christ. And so like Matthew knows about Chronicles, like he's read the Old Testament too. And he knows that there's people that aren't listed here that you can find in the Bible. He, he knows it, okay? So this is a summary, but it is a very detailed summary from Abraham to Christ. This is putting a promise being fulfilled, not just in some random story, not just in some myth, but it's in actual history with real people in real time. Okay, so first thing, the Matthew 1 genealogy, it helps pinpoint the Christmas story's place in history. Something for you to write down. Uh, we've said this a couple of times already during our Advent series, but I wanna say it again. And it goes like this. We must remember that the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. Okay, one more time. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news, okay? Advice we take, it's counsel that we're given, that something that we must go and do. News is something, it's a report of what has been done. And that's what we have here. Uh, the, the nativity doesn't have connected to it like some just moral to the story that we're trying to figure out. It's describing for us something that has taken place and specifically something wonderful that has taken place where Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners, okay? So number one, the Matthew 1 genealogy helps to pinpoint the Christmas story's place in history. But let's, let's move on. And I wanna spend a lot of time in this next part. The Matthew 1 genealogy helps us to rest in the grace of God to rest in the grace of God. Now, let's talk for a minute about, about genealogy and, and why it can be difficult for us to understand. In, in 2017, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, in Western culture, we live in what we can call an individualistic society, okay? And so it, it, when we develop a resume, when we wanna show our credentials, we are going to talk about what we have done. We're gonna talk about where we went to school, what degrees we have, who we studied under, what we have accomplished. That, that would be what we would do. So when we turn in a resume to somebody, we say, here we are, bring us on or don't. You know, this is who I am. This is what I've accomplished. This is not to say that we do not look at our family or have advantages or disadvantages because of the families that we come from. Uh, it, it has been a very good thing for me to have the Mouché name, okay? And so I'm not saying that, that you know, as far as my life and moving forward and things, that, that the Mouché name doesn't carry weight. I, it does. But in our society, what you do as an individual 
is what is built up and lifted up. In the ancient Near East, that is not so. It's not now and it wasn't then. The way that you would build a resume would not be here's what I've accomplished, but it would be here is my family line. This is my genealogy. My genealogy would be a resume. And so like any kind of resume that we have today, it's possible for resumes to be tampered with. All right. And so if you had that, you know, that, that year in school that you wish you didn't have, or you had that job that you walked down on, you probably don't put those on your resume. You try to erase that from what has taken place. And back in ancient Near East uh, culture, you would do the same thing. You could tamper with your genealogy. One of the greatest examples that we have in history is Herod the Great. Herod the Great was part Jew and he was also part Edomite. And if you look back at the records or you try to uh, trace back in time, you see that he tampered with them. He tried to have them burned. He tried to have them, uh, it changed so that it didn't show in his mind a weakness in his, in his family line. What is so interesting when we come to Matthew 1 is the Lord seems to do something that is altogether absurd in the, in the culture. And it is, he not only doesn't remove the people that you would expect him to remove, but he adds information that doesn't have to be added to, I believe, make very specific points about grace. In the genealogy of Christ, we have specifically what I would refer to is we have five women, five women that in a patriarchal society would be very uncommon to see. Maybe one or two, but not five. And what I want us to do today is as we look at this second point is to look into the genealogy at, the, at least a few of these women and see how even in the genealogy, we're pointed directly to the heart of God and his gospel. I want you to think about this. In the genealogy of Christ, we have what we might call gender outsiders. And I, I, would, I would very much encourage you to take notes here. Gender outsiders. Once again, th this is not, we're not saying this is right. We're not saying this is how it should have been. We're just saying that in the culture, in the first century, it would be very uncommon to have women in the genealogy. There are five here in Matthew 1. We have gender outsiders. Secondly, though, and this is maybe more absurd for, a, uh, for this genealogy and what we might expect, especially if we were a Jew, is that we have not just gender outsiders, but we have what we're gonna call racial outsiders. We have three women that are found outside of uh, Jewish, Jewish heritage. We have Ruth, a Moabite, and we have Tamar and Rahab, Canaanites. There they are. So not only gender outsiders, but racial outsiders. Thirdly in that, we have what we're gonna call moral outsiders. We have Tamar, who 
not a great part of the story of God, but it's certainly a part of the story of God. And we can go and look at it in the book of Genesis. But Tamar, desiring to preserve the family line, she dresses up like a prostitute and she goes and finds her father-in-law, Judah, also not really a shining moment for that guy. He takes Tamar, who he thinks is a prostitute, who's actually his daughter-in-law. He goes to bed with her and guess what? She has twins, They're right here in the genealogy. Not a bright spot. It's a little bit of a mess, we might call it. But we have moral outsiders. What about Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute. We know that from God's word. So not only do we have gender outsiders and racial outsiders, but we have moral outsiders. Fourthly, we have religious outsiders. If we just took the law of Moses, three of these women could not worship the Lord in public. Three of them. They could not go to the temple. Three people in this genealogy excluded from the worship of God at the temple. Why why am I bringing this up? Oh, you get ready. You ready for some notes? You got it? Listen, we see here that those that the law excludes, the gospel of grace can embrace. Even right here in in, in Matthew 1, as we're entering into this Christmas story, we see that those that the law of God, those that the Mosaic law pushed out, that they isolated, that, that made it impossible for them, the gospel of grace lifts up. The gospel of grace brings in and includes embraces. See, Christmas teaches us that God came to seek and save those who were excluded, who were far off, who were lost. Ephesians 2 says, who had no hope and without God in this world. Two more things to write down. You don't want to miss it. The genealogy, this genealogy, points us to the truth that in the gospel, in the gospel of Jesus, in the good news, all people are equally lost. All people are equally lost. Yet in the gospel of Jesus, all people in Christ are equally loved. All people are equally lost. And yet in Christ Jesus, because of this grace, all people are equally loved. Think about this, uh, the thought of just equally lost. Look look at verse six. Gotta be my favorite statement in the genealogy. Verse six. We learn about one that if we were going to build a resume, this is who we want on it. King David. Now, you may not want some of these people on there. We might wanna just kind of sweep them under like they, like they weren't there. Like maybe we should forget to put that name on there. But King David, oh, we want him. We want him on the resume, highlighted and in bold. But look at what we see here, even in this genealogy. And listen, what would normally be excluded, even in the genealogy, because of grace, because of how God works, He desires this to be in 
and I believe in bold. Verse six says, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now keep in mind, it doesn't say even by Bathsheba, which would probably be enough. It doesn't do that. As Matthew records this, it says by, it says the wife of Uriah, causing us to take our attention from the amazing man, King David, to an event and to a time in his life of great weakness and lack of self-control and poor leadership to a point where he failed miserably. And also to a girl, a woman, caught in a culture, caught also in a decision, caught in an event and making a very poor life decision. And there they are right in the middle. Whether you are Rahab, whether you are Tamar, whether you are King David, equally lost. Same level ground. A king and a prostitute. There they are. Now, who wants to talk about that? Well, nobody does when you want to feel moral, but that, that's not the point. The, the gospel isn't good advice. The gospel is good news for sinners. Equally lost, yet equally loved. A king next to a prostitute, side by side, welcome to the same table. I love, 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 love me some Tim Keller. I wanna give you a great quote. Tim Keller said that God's grace is so powerful that even the genealogies, he said he went from some King James, even the begats of scripture drip with God's mercy. Even the genealogies drip with grace. Even the genealogies point to the gospel of Jesus. Those who were excluded from the law because of sin. And by the way, that's every single one of us. All of us equally lost on the outside are embraced by the gospel of grace in Christ Jesus, equally loved. There is no one in the room that is too far away and no one is so close that you're good. Every one of us, the gospel sings a song over us that we, we're equally lost and yet in Christ Jesus, we are equally loved and accepted. Tamar and King David, same table. See, I, you know, I, I wouldn't pretend to know where you are, but I, I would say this. Today, if you find yourself seeking to make your value be connected to accomplishments. If you find yourself trying to build your credentials 
on something that you are attempting to earn, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss Christmas. You'll miss the beauty of the Advent. You'll miss the gospel. See, the, the only credential that we need, the only real thing we need in our resume is that we are in Christ. That we are in Christ. In Christ, my value is found. In Christ, my acceptance is there. I am welcomed. I am brought into the family of God. I am right with the Lord. I have peace with God. I am his and he is mine. We must begin to find our value in who we are in Christ Jesus. See, we're equally lost, but in Christ Jesus, we're equally loved, equally embraced. The Matthew genealogy helps us to pinpoint the Christmas story's place in history. It also helps us to rest in the grace of God. But thirdly, the Matthew 1 genealogy helps us to trust in the smile of God. Trust in the smile of God. And you, you, may, you may say, what? What is, what is that? Well, there's a beautiful song that I know I have quoted many times in uh, my ministry uh, here, which by the way, just very quick side note, this day, 11 years ago, was my first uh, Sunday as an official, uh, as a youth pastor at Alberta Baptist Church. 11 years ago today on a Sunday in that gym, remember that? Voted in, life changed, um, and, what, and what a time. But in, in that 11 years, you probably heard me quote uh, this song many times, it's William Cowper. But here's a stanza from the song. It says, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. When we look at the Matthew 1 genealogy, there, there's many things that, can, uh, that we can learn and that we can take away. But one is this, is that we, we jump into this and we see something that is, we've recognized to be true as we've studied the Bible and really as we have lived. And it goes like this is that God doesn't seem to work in the timing that we expected he would or fulfill his promises in the way that he thought we thought he might. God doesn't seem to work in the timing that we expected he would or fulfill his promises in the way that he, we thought he might. I want you just to imagine from Abraham to Christ, You've got this covenant that's given, this promise that is made. And as we have made our way through time, we have seen God's people rise and we've seen God's people fall several times. But when we get to Matthew chapter one, I wanna remind you, there has been 400 years of silence. 400 years where if anything, 
it would appear that we are going backwards with covenant fulfillment. The Jews have no king. Their leadership is failing. They are under rule of someone else. And it would just appear that either God is not there or that God isn't concerned with the people of Israel. That he's walked away from his promises. 400 years of silence. You know, we struggle with like a year of unknowns. We struggle with many unknowns and struggle with patience. Imagine nothing in 400 years. It's not the timing that we would expect that he would work in. And it's certainly not the way that we thought he might work. That there in the midst of when it would seem like there's no way that maybe he's not even concerned. It's in that moment that we're reminded of his smile. It's in that moment that we see in Bethlehem, the first advent. Christ coming into the world to save sinners. Let's think about this for a moment and connect to it another statement. And it goes like this. God may take his time, but he will always keep his word. God may take his time, but he will always keep his word. We, we have from Abraham, we have generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, and we can continue that. Days passed, years passed, and he's just, slower than we thought he would be. And I believe that we will be able to look back if given the opportunity and see it was his kindness. It was his goodness for the timing. But point is, God, he doesn't work on the timetable that we would expect him to. And he doesn't fulfill in the same way that we might expect. Might even say it this way. He fulfills his promises as we look at this genealogy and the people in it. He fulfills his promises in ways and through circumstances and even through people that we would never have imagined. So I'm just gonna give you a couple from this list. Let's take Rahab. All right, now we're, we're looking back. We're Christians, okay? Now we're looking back. Now we, we've been in VBS, which I always think it's interesting that Rahab is in like every VBS. It's a pretty tricky story to tell to kids, but that's another, that's another time. Rahab, listen, when we read of her bravery in Joshua and we see glimpses of her faith in God, as great as that story is, as she was involved or as great as the story is that she was involved in there, we would never have expected to find her here. Okay, so let me say that again. I I just read that so awkward. I do have the manuscript, by the way, in case you're wondering. When we read of her bravery, Rahab and Joshua, and we see glimpses of her faith in God, as great as that story is in Joshua, I'm never expecting her to find her in Matthew. 
I expect to see something there. I don't expect to see something here. She was the mother of Boaz. Always loved that. Ruth, you know, we named our, uh, our second daughter, Annie Ruth, after the book of Ruth, my, my favorite. Isn't that awesome? Boaz, his mom, Rahab. Boaz, of course, meets and falls for the outsider, Ruth, the Moabite sweetheart of the Old Testament. Once again, a great story. But we wouldn't have expected much more from the town of Bethlehem during the time of Judges, a time when there was no king in the land and everybody just did what was right in their own eyes. Yet Boaz and Ruth have a baby, Obed. Obed has a baby, Jesse. Jesse has a baby, King David. Who through David comes Christ our Lord. See, we look in these stories and we try to put ourselves in, uh, in the small picture, in the small part of the story. And it's hard to imagine what God is piecing together, what the whole painting will be like. And yet we must, as people, understand that God may take his time, but he will keep his word. And we must understand that even when it feels dark, even when it seems silent, even when we don't hear, we must trust in his smile. We must trust in his goodness. We must trust in his work. In sometime around March, we're gonna be looking at the, the book of Esther. Primary example of this. Where the, the name God's not even mentioned in the whole book. It seems like incredible silence. And yet there's God smiling. There's God behind the cloud. There's God behind the frowning providence doing something great. In closing, let, let's make some connections here. Let, let's think about this from the sky. I, I believe we've already done this to an extent. Let's try to take it from the 30,000 foot perspective. That if we sit and we look and we just take a peek at the world. You know, this, this week we've been able just to take a peek at Alabama. Uh, but uh, you take a peek at Alabama, you try to look through Alabama and you try to see the, the Western culture as a whole, try to look through that all the way to see what's going on around the globe and you find things that would appear to be forsaken. You find people who are starving people who died because they didn't eat enough, people who could have got a shot, but they don't have access to it. You find people who are poorer than what we can possibly even visualize, I believe. We look and we see what would appear to be a great disorder, overwhelming amount of darkness. If we look close enough, we can see it. 
And, and yet what Matthew 1 reminds us of, and the whole Bible reminds us of, is that even in this shadow of darkness, even in this time where maybe we look and we can't, uh, it seems like we can't see, that it's right there that the dawn has come. It's right there that the Lord is at work and the Lord is moving. And even if we cannot see, even if we don't feel like we wish we did, God is good and God is at work. Who would have thought from Abraham to Christ would be so long? And who would have thought he would have done it this way? Born in a manger? So from the sky, we just sit back and go, look, even if I can't see, the word tells me God's keeping his word. Even if I don't feel at the moment like I wish I did, God's doing what he said he would do. I can trust him. Well, that was from the sky. What about from the ground? What about personally? I don't know if you ever feel like this, but, but maybe your life seems very loud. It seems very loud and God seems very silent. If you're offended by me saying this, please get a grip. Like really. If you are so on top of it that you're just always communicating beautifully with the Lord, good job. But as for me, and as for everybody I talk to, there are seasons and there are times, there are days, there are hours where everything seems very loud and yet I don't hear the Lord. It's right there. You gotta know it. You gotta know it. Because it's in that silence, it's in that time where we think we're not hearing anything that if we only knew that God would say, I may be slow with my time, but my son, I will keep my word. I will keep my word. I am not idle at the injustices that you see. I am not ignoring the pain that you're in. If you only knew you weren't as lonely as you think. For I've said over and over again, I am with you. If my personal life seems loud and God seems quiet. I need to remember the smile. Remember how God has worked throughout all of biblical history. He has accomplished exactly what he said he would in his first advent. And my friends and my faith family, he will do what he said he will do in his second advent and is coming again. Last kind of connection point here. I, just 
looking through the providence of God and, and considering this in light of the genealogy and then come into our personal lives. Is there, is there anybody in your life that maybe you've wanted to take out of the resume? Like, like is there anybody in your life that maybe you've kind of written off? That you've thought that the Lord's grace wasn't deep enough for? That you thought maybe God's arm of salvation couldn't reach them? Maybe they've done the same thing four, five, 50 times. You got them? Maybe this morning you need to be reminded as we look at this list and as we see these names and specifically as we see several of these women, several of these men, that what took place back then, that event, that relationship, that decision, that mistake, that sin, let's call it what it is, that that took, that took place back then is part of my story, but it does not have to define my story. It happened, I have consequences, but it doesn't have to define who I am in this life and in the one to come. Jesus Christ has come, he has lived, he has died, he rose from the grave to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And whether or not there was a time when somebody wrote me off, I don't know. But I know this, I believe and I walk and I love and I'm with him and I'm in him. That's my story. Everything else, everything in my life, it's part of my story, but it doesn't define who I am. Jesus does. And whoever that person is, and maybe it's you, just understand that this points us to the grace of God, the gospel of grace. We're all equally lost. And yet in Christ Jesus, equally loved. I wanna read for you in, as we're uh, finishing up here. I wanna read for you the whole song that I quoted earlier, the Cowper. It goes like this, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break and blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Father, I love you and I thank you for your work.